Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, for SB Live Sports. A repeat guest, one of my favorite columnists and insiders in all of college basketball from the Memphis area, CBS CBS Sports own Gary Parrish. Gary, thanks for joining. How is everything? I believe they call Memphis the Bluff. Am I right with that? The Bluff City. The, the Bluff, Bluff City. City, okay. Yes, and we had a television show on NBC named after it called Bluff City Law, but unfortunately, it lasted just one season. Not enough people watched it outside of Memphis, it appears. <laughs> well, at least I got half of the nickname of your hometown correct, so I think that maybe uh, gives me a little bit of good graces in your eyes. But uh, it's been an interesting offseason in college basketball. Coach movement, player movement, NIL opportunities are out there. Let's just start with the first question. What has been the biggest surprise in your eyes this offseason in college hoops? I think Mike Krzyzewski announcing that he's going to coach one more season and then walk away and that they would already name John Shire the coach in waiting. Um, As we approach the day that Duke announced that, um, there had been speculation for a couple of weeks that something like that was maybe in the works, but it was just mostly speculation and you didn't know if it would actually happen or not because during the season or right toward the end of the season, remember Duke not only didn't play in the NCAA tournament, their season ended in the ACC tournament because of a positive COVID test. It was just like somebody popped positive season is over and the the whole roller coaster ride that that team was on. I was told by people close to the program had really motivated K to, to bounce this thing back um, impressively and quickly that he was maybe a little re-energized, refocused. And so when you hear that, you're like, okay, he's, he's going to keep going for a little while. But then as um, you know, April turned to May, May turned to June, people started talking like I am hearing he might be ready to go. And so, you know, that, that, that's obviously the biggest offseason development. I mean, I guess technically in the off, same offseason, Roy Williams announced his retirement. Um, but, but, but Kay announcing sort of in the middle of the summer and then saying, you know, John Shire will be my successor, uh, that obviously created big headlines. And Duke has remained a constant story this offseason because of the way John's been recruiting. I think they've signed four or five-star or, or, or secured commitments from four or five-star prospects since John was named uh, the coach in waiting. So 
you know, as I wrote in a column recently, we won't know whether he is fit for the job or not until he's got the job. As you know, somebody who's been around this sport and played it at the highest level, um, there's a big difference between being a great assistant and a great head coach. I, I, the list is long of guys who were high-level assistants that I said, man, whenever this guy gets his opportunity, he's going to smash it. And they just don't for whatever reason. And so nothing is guaranteed, but John has done everything you could possibly do to set himself up for success when he does get that job by securing what is at this moment the number one recruiting class in, in the year 2022. Yeah, it has been a heck of a recruiting class when you follow closely um, who they've gotten and kind of how the it's it's a mixture of positions, it's a mixture of styles, it's a mixture of strengths, um, which obviously all the best coaches understand. You need different parts, uh, and then you have to figure out how to put them together. The other coach that I've been impressed with, both on the recruiting front, but also on building his staff front would be Penny Hardaway in Memphis. Uh, what he has done in a short amount of time this offseason, bringing in Larry Brown, Hall of Fame coach who's had success at the NBA and the college level, was, I think, a, a, a huge benefit for college basketball. But I think the under the undervalued maybe addition to his staff is Rashid Wallace. Damon Stoudemire is, is a friend of mine who went from college to the NBA with the Celtics, and he's told me on multiple occasions the greatest basketball mind he has ever been around was Rashid Wallace. Wow. How do you see those two coaching additions for Memphis going? It's certainly um, an attention getter because I think this is an accurate statement. There's never been a more famous college basketball staff than the current Memphis staff. Now, once upon a time, like at Kentucky, Rick Pitino had Billy Donovan on staff and Tubby Smith on staff. But in that moment, Tubby Smith is just an assistant coach. Billy Donovan's just an assistant coach. They're not Billy Donovan and Tubby Smith yet. I mean, on the Memphis staff now, you've got Penny Hardaway, who was first team All-NBA for multiple seasons, starting with his second season in the NBA. I think sometimes people forget, or if you're younger, just didn't understand how incredible he was as a player. I mean, think about if today somebody was first team all NBA in their second year in the NBA, that just does not happen. Even for Zion, that does not happen. So um, he's obviously accomplished at the, at the highest level of the sport and has competed at the highest level of the sport injuries, just sort of derailed his career and limited the longevity of it. Uh, then you got Larry Brown, who is literally the only person in the history of the planet to win an NBA championship as a coach and a NCAA championship as a coach. Then you've got Rashid Wallace, who's a world champion, former NBA All-Star, and then Cody Toppert, who is the other assistant, certainly the, the I don't want to say the least important because he's not that at all, but the, the least known. You know, he worked in the NBA with the Phoenix Suns and has a, a, a good reputation as a development guy. So Penny, from the day that he got the job, uh, wanted two things, to promote an NBA atmosphere. Like if you're trying to get where you where to the NBA, that is a place I've already been. And that is a place I'm surrounding myself with people who have already been there. Remember his initial staff was Sam Mitchell, former NBA coach of the year and Mike Miller, NBA world champion. So he has consistently had NBA people around him. I'm not sure anything close to, to the, uh, the, the, the celebrity that comes with Larry Brown and, and Rasheed Wallace. Uh, he wanted that NBA culture from the start, and he honestly wanted Larry Brown from the start. The, the truth is, 
the introductory press conference when Penny was hired, he mentioned Larry Brown as the biggest coaching influence on his life and somebody he would like to have um, work for him. And I know they had already talked about doing that. In fact, um, while Tubby Smith was still the coach at Memphis, I reported even before the season was over that Memphis was seriously considering firing Tubby Smith, not just to fire him and then have a coaching search, but to hire Penny Hardaway and that Penny Hardaway's hope was to bring Larry Brown. The truth is the previous athletic director at Memphis just nixed, it, just would not allow it because of Larry's NCAA issues from past stops. But now they've got a new athletic director. Um, Penny has a, you know, has always been a powerful figure on the campus. I think he's got a little more power now. And as you know, um, when you are the biggest figure on a college campus, you can get things done that maybe other guys can't get done. So it was a perfect storm of events that led to Penny being able to, to hire Larry this offseason, add Rashid Wallace. And like I said, if you take it person by person, I don't think there's ever been in real time a more famous and arguably, in fact, this is probably true as well, more accomplished college basketball staff in the history of the sport. Yeah, it's going to be interesting how they mold that team together. I thought Memphis showed some some glimpses last year. Uh, they've been hot on the recruiting trail. One of the things that I'm curious about, because through COVID, there's been a lot more reclassifications of high school kids, both delaying a year, but also speeding it up. Amani Bates sped his classification up. He's now uh, ready to, to enter college basketball. How do guys graduate high school early? Because I've got kids in high school and I don't get it. How, how do they get guys eligible essentially with credits so quickly? It's online classes. Uh, there's an assistant coach on every- but you still got to do the class and it takes gotta, time. You still got to do the work, um, but you can certainly fast track it. I, it. This whole reclassifying thing has just become so normal among basketball prospects, but it's so abnormal to the rest of the world. Like, you know, <laughs> do you know anybody other than a basketball player who's ever reclassified in the middle of a senior year a junior year and just said, now I'm a senior and I'm going to go to college in three months. Like it's just, it does not happen. There was a kid who went to, it was actually in the graduating class with my son at Lausanne collegiate school, Musa Cisse, who, you know, reclassified and enrolled at Memphis. And they were like, how is he reclassified at Lausanne? And I said, he's not like my son is a pretty smart young man. And like that, 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 it, the, the coursework there is not the type of coursework you can just say, pile another year on in the next six weeks. I'm going to college. It doesn't work like that. So what you essentially do is you drop out of drop out of your high school and enroll in online courses that are approved by the NCAA. Like I said, there is not an assistant basketball coach at the division one level in the country who doesn't know how to get a player reclassified. And so every time these stories pop up, somebody will ask, well, are we sure they're going to be able to get it done? And I'm like, can you remember the time where they didn't get it done? Like, you know, it, <laughs> it always gets done. Marvin Bagley, Musa Cisse, and now uh, Amani Bates and both Jalen Duran who are going to Memphis. But to your point, it's going to be interesting to see how it works out because Amani is an amazing, let's just focus on him for a second, an amazing talent, amazing, credible talent. He's also 17 years old. And you know from living through it, when you're 17 years old trying to play against 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds, and 24-year-olds in some cases, especially given that all seniors were allowed to come back if they wanted to, um, there's a pretty big gap there in terms of physical development at the very least. The good news for Memphis is that they've got a nice balanced roster in terms of experience and 
high level NBA talent like Jalen Dern and Imani Bates are both very young, but they're so talented. They're probably going to be top five, top 10 picks in future drafts. Imani Bates could be the number one pick in a future draft. But then they've also got DeAndre Williams, who's like 24 year old senior. They've got Lester Quinones, who is a junior They've, they've, they've got a nice balanced roster where they won't be relying on nothing but inexperienced players. It's why Memphis is now considered a preseason top 10 team. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see those parts get put together. Uh, I have not seen Imani Bates in person, but I've seen enough uh, clips and enough stretches of games to know that he's pretty talented, but it is a big jump for a 17-year-old to play against uh, completely physically developed older guys. I know for a fact for me, it took me three years uh, to be able to physically compete at that college level. Other guys are different, and, and I wish them nothing but the best of luck. As I look more so at the, the landscape of college basketball, there's been, as every year, there's been a lot of, of coaching changes. Porter Mosier uh, to Oklahoma, Chris Beard to Texas. Is there one coaching change that you're really keeping your eye on uh, as you see the season about to unfold? Well, I think the one that's going to have the biggest immediate impact is the second one you noted there, Chris Beard at, at Texas. Like Chris, very quickly at the Division One level, has established himself as one of the best game coaches and developers uh, of pl- developer players in the country. Like, uh, you know, I talk to NBA people a lot and this was pre COVID because they couldn't really bounce into practices last season. Everything was, you know, travel was difficult. Um, campuses were obviously tighter than they would normally be, but, but pre COVID, you know, I, I'm always interested talking to me people and said, okay, uh, who have you seen? You know, what do you think of this player, that player? And like, who are you impressed by when you sit in the gym with them and you watch a guy run a practice, who do you go? This guy's really good, really knows how to communicate uh, and teach, and also is maybe somebody who could coach in our league someday. And if you you talk to enough people about that, you're going to hear good things about Jay Wright. You're going to hear good things about Tony Bennett. But the one I was hearing more than any other, again, again, pre-COVID, was Chris Beer. Just guys knows what he's doing, knows how to communicate, knows how to teach, knows how to motivate, knows how to get the best out of his players, maximize their talent, and then in-game knows how to make adjustments. Like, you know, I, and you know way more about this stuff than I do, but, you know, basically any coach at the, at you know, in college is going to be, anybody can run a drill, anybody can draw up something on a board. It's a, how can, can you communicate what you're trying to communicate in a way that resonates with these young people can you get them to understand what you're talking about anybody can say the words can you make it click and chris my understanding is is very very good at that and so i wasn't surprised when shaka left for marquette that they zeroed in on chris very quickly i wasn't surprised that he took the job Uh, this is a job he has built for and he revamped that roster very quickly via the transfer market and I'm not predicting Texas to be the national champion. I'm picking Gonzaga to be the national champion. But it will be nothing surprising if Chris Beard wins a national championship in his first year at UT. I've got him ranked third in the preseason behind only Gonzaga and UCLA. So that speaks to the the talent that that he's got on that campus immediately. And I don't think he'll ever, you know, certainly in in, in the next for the next five to ten years, 
I think he'll probably have a national championship contender basically every year. You kind of previewed my question, uh, and I was going to ask you, who was your number one team and, and who are the challengers? Uh, you, you thought Gonzaga, UCLA, and Texas. That Gonzaga, uh, Gonzaga-Texas game is going to be a heck of a, of a title fight uh, early in the season. I think it's Gonzaga's second, maybe third game of the season. They have history, both Coach Few and Chris Beard, as far as in the NCAA tournament three or four years ago uh, when Gonzaga had an unbelievable offense. Chris Beard and Texas Tech literally shut them down, uh, which nobody had done up to that point this year. Uh, who are some of the other teams that kind of round out your elites this year? Well, it starts with the Zags. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you. I would say it if I were talking to anybody. You know, I, I've talked to Mark about this, you know, since the the night of the championship game where Baylor just, you know, overwhelmed them. And, you know, he, he you know, he, he wishes he could have that back. He thinks about it all the time. Um, it's interesting, Marcus sort of said, I wish we could have played that game against them in the regular season because then, like, we would have lost. Like, he concedes, like, they'd have beat us because they'd have done to us what they did to us. But we didn't know what we were in for. Like, we, he said, I don't think we understood. I'm paraphrasing here. This isn't a quote, but I'm not sure we understood exactly what we were in for. And if we just saw it early, we'd have been better prepared for that Monday night in, in April. Um, but one of the things I've told Mark, not that he needs to hear it from me, is that the best way to win a national championship is keep assembling teams, rosters that can do it. Like, you know, Billy Donovan, one of my favorite things about his back-to-back -back titles is in the five years before he won back-to-back -back titles at Florida, Florida was eliminated before uh, the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. In other words, first round or second round, Florida's out. They could be a two seed, a 10 seed, didn't matter. They could not get to a sweet 16 for five straight years. And Billy said, but I knew, you know, just keep building teams that are good enough to do it. And eventually the breaks will go your way. And just about every national champion has a game in the tournament where, oh boy, you know, somebody got hot, a shot went in, so something goes their way. And Billy's point was just keep knocking on the door and eventually it'll open for you. You, you got to be standing at the door, but eventually it'll open. And with the way Mark has been able to consistently build legitimate national championship contenders, and now he's got another one, it's going to happen at some point. Um, it, it just, the, some people like to say it won't happen because it hasn't happened, but that's illogical. <laughs> um, it could have already happened multiple times. It just like go back and play the final two minutes of the North Carolina Gonzaga game again, you know, play it 10 more times starting from this moment. And it, it would go five and five, but you only got to play it once and it went UNC's way. So here we are again. Yeah. You know, the, the Zags lose a lot, Corey, Jalen, um, but, you know, I can't remember this ever being the case. They're bringing back the preseason national player of the year in Drew Timmy. And they're bringing back the possible, if not probable, number one pick in the 2022 NBA draft in Chet Holmgren. Like how often, if ever, has a team had these two things to start a season and they're two different people. Like sometimes the preseason national player of the year is also the guy who's projected to be the number one pick in the draft. But here we got projected number one pick in the draft and preseason national player of the year, and they're two different people. And, you know, we talked about Memphis earlier. You know, what Memphis is missing is what the Zags have. Like, you know what Memphis needs? I, if this were the NBA and you could make a trade, I would trade two of these rotation players for you. Yep. You need an experienced, natural, true point guard. 
Memphis doesn't have one. If they have issues this season, that will be why. You have somebody as experienced as Andrew Nimhard. You can put the ball in his hands. You surround him with this kind of talent. The Zags, are, there's a reason they're the favorite to win the national championship. UCLA is a threat. They bring everybody back from that team that, you know, made a run to the final four. Um, Texas, obviously. Kansas is, you know, Bill Self doesn't have a future lottery pick on this roster, but he's got a lot of really good experienced guys. And, and the, the Jayhawks are, you know, going to be a factor at the top of the sport. Villanova really benefited from the NCAA allowing players to come back for another senior season if they wanted to, because they get Colin Gillespie back, who, you know, is a reigning Big East player of the year. Michigan, Jawan Howard has loaded up again. He got a nice balance of high-level freshmen and experience, just like Memphis that we've talked about. I think Duke's got a chance to be really good. You know, with Paulo Bencaro, who I think if Chet's not the number one pick in the draft, it'll be Paulo Bencaro, who is from Seattle and, um, you know, is now going to be maybe, you know, the biggest threat to Drew Timmy as the national player of the year. So that's eight teams right there. I I could go deeper, but usually um, what we find out each and every year by about February 1st is that it looks like there's about seven or eight teams that could genuinely have a realistic shot to win the national championship. So that's always a good number to, to, to focus on. And in the preseason, those eight teams I just mentioned would probably be my eight. Yeah, those ones stand out to me as well for different reasons. When I look at talent, roster makeup as far as youth and potential and experience, I think the last couple of years of college basketball with the grad transfer rules, uh, I think has really shown a lot of coaches that you have to do a great job of balancing youth and experience to be able to maximize uh, your growth throughout the course of the season. If you're too old, you're going to be great at the early part of the year. If you're if you have that experience, but you have the youth and the youth speeds their learning process up, you got a chance to really improve in the dog days of end of January, February, getting ready for the tournament. That's exactly right. Um, the recipe for high level success in Division One basketball is roster balance with legitimate NBA prospects. In other words, if you've got a bunch of seniors who aren't showing up in uh, you know mock drafts, you're probably not talented enough to to go win a national championship. If you've got nothing but first-year players or largely nothing but first-year players, you're probably not experienced enough to go win a national championship. But when you've got both of those things, legitimate NBA players, but also um, juniors and seniors or even sophomores and juniors that are going to be big contributors, that's the recipe. You go back to 2012 Kentucky, everybody remembers, man, they had the one-and-dones, Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, Marcus T. They did. But three of the top six players on that team were non-freshmen. That was a big, big deal. 2015 Duke. Everybody remembers the one-and-done freshman. Jalil Okafor, Justice Winslow, um, uh, Tyus Jones. But again, three of the top six players on that team were non-freshmen. That's the key. And um, that is something Michigan has this year. They've got real NBA talent in that freshman class. But then they've got Hunter Dickinson back for a second year. they got Eli Brooks back. They've got a nice roster balance and legitimate NBA talent. Memphis has nice roster balance and legitimate NBA talent. That's a good thing to have in this sport. Last question, Gary, before I let you go, appreciate all the time. Uh, I love how you go in depth on so many different topics and teams. 
NIL is, a, is still a hot topic, and it's been uh, legal now for college athletes to, to represent companies and make a few extra dollars for a couple months now. What's the most unique NIL agreement that you've seen up till now? Well, the one thing, and I, I thought I was well-versed on this, like I, that I understood exactly how it would work and who would benefit, and I, I largely was. But the one thing that's been surprising to me that I didn't, and it's not really surprising when you think about it. I just don't guess I ever really thought about it is yeah. The quarterback at Alabama is going to make a lot of money. And the point guard at Duke is going to make a lot of money. I didn't properly grasp what, and I'm just speaking candidly here, the really pretty 19 year old gymnast at LSU would make because she has, you know, 5 million followers on Instagram or whatever it is. I didn't recognize that there were going to be student athletes in sports we don't normally pay attention to, with all due respect. There's going to be student athletes in those sports who really cash in in ways that were previously prohibited because of nothing more than incredible social media followings. Now, again, you think it through, it makes perfect sense. Like, you know, what does Kim Kardashian get just to send off a tweet what does kylie jenner get just to you know post something on instagram like it's it's six figures seven figures in some cases so this is just a another this is just another example of that but i didn't i didn't didn't properly understand that i didn't properly envision that until it was happening um what's interesting is that the ncaa said from the jump we do want to allow this but we don't want it to be a recruiting tool and i remember being on a conference call with them and i was like question um, how do you prevent it from being a recruiting tool? And they'd be like, oh, they don't know. I have no answer. And it's like, you know, but we're still in the early stages. We're talking through it. You know, we plan to figure all that out. And I was like, oh, I, I'll ask you the same question in six months. You will not have an answer for it because there is no answer for it. So um, the one thing that's been interesting is watching coaches sort of embrace this. Like they, they're, they're not hiding from it. Like I, I don't think if you talk to anybody at Memphis, and they were speaking to you honestly, they would tell you that they would have enrolled Amani Bates and Jalen Dern, if not for name, image, and likeness opportunities. They made it clear to those young men, you can make in the millions playing college basketball here. I don't know that they explicitly said, we'll help, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that's done, but they let it be understood this is going to be done one way or another. And so, the, you know, there, there's there's football players now being paid to do podcast, which was illegal previously. There are, you know, autograph signings, basketball players. Hey, come to my, this fireworks stand <laughs> for July 4th. Get your picture with me, buy some fireworks, get an autograph. You know, it's being used in all of these practical ways. You know, these are in many cases, visible people um, who can draw folks to your business. Um, but what we're going to ultimately find out when these documents have to be filed and people request them through Freedom of Information Act requests, and you get to look at, so what is Imani Bates really making and who is paying him? What we're going to find out is that the basketball programs and or the football programs that have the biggest corporate backing, the most intense boosters, um, they're going to be the ones that that are going to get the best prospects. It's just, but here's the truth. And this is something I've been saying for years. That's already the way it's been. You're just taking stuff that was under the table and taking it above the table. 
and the order of things aren't isn't really going to change too much. Like before name, image, and likeness rights, two years ago, Memphis had the number one recruiting class in America. Then they got name, image, and likeness rights. Memphis got the number one recruiting class in America. Didn't change. You know, Duke has had the number one recruiting class in America you know, roughly more times than anybody else in the past, say, six or seven years. Now, name, image, and likeness rights are reality. Guess who's got the number one recruiting class in the country? Duke. The big-time programs are still getting the players. They're just now getting the players um, in part because their boosters, their corporate backers can step up and and actually make it um, a, a, a destination where people want to be. You don't have to recruit people to the kennel or to Cameron Indoor anymore. You can say we are Gonzaga. We are one of the biggest brands in the sport. You play for us, you get famous, you get famous, you make a lot of money. So I think the the, the big programs that have been getting the best players are going to continue to do it. And really the only difference between then and now is going to be the players we watch on the court are going to be in many cases making some serious money. Um, and it doesn't offend me at all. It doesn't bother me at all. And even the people who insisted if college athletes are ever millionaires, I won't watch it. Um, well, we're watching a football season right now where some college football players are, if not millionaires, very close to it. And television ratings are, you know, as high as ever, if not higher. If people like to say, I'll never watch this or enjoy this again, if this happens, but the truth is um, they never follow through with it. Once we're watching, um, you know, uh, Alabama and Florida on sun on a Saturday afternoon. It never entered my mind one time the other day that the Alabama quarterback is making a million dollars to spend this year at Alabama through name, image, and likeness rights. I don't care. I'm happy for him. And I think most people don't care either, even if they thought they would. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Thank you so much for joining Gary. It's always great to catch up. I look forward to continuing to read your columns and, and catch you on CBS Sports Network throughout the year. And uh, look forward to having you on maybe again at some point once the season gets going, just so we can maybe hash out these top eight teams or so that we've talked about if you and I agree on, on how those teams are doing. So appreciate the time. Take care in the Bluff City. I appreciate you having me. Anytime you want me, I'm here for you. I, I appreciate you, brother. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.